Hey everyone, and welcome back to The Beautiful Hustle, the podcast that connects the heart to the hustle of the beauty industry. With my beautiful co-host today, Miss Jessica Saunders. Happy to be here with you today, Philip Procopio. We are really excited today to have our first guest on that we've had on for two interviews. So if you haven't had the chance, scroll back a couple episodes and listen to our first interview with Renee Gadar. We really talk about her history in the industry and learn how she got to become the creative global director of Texture at Aveda. Today we're going to pivot. We're going to shift gears a little bit and we're going to really dive into the conversation around creating equitable space for all hair types and textures. So hair is so much more than just hair. There's a deep-rooted culture in it. And today we're going to explore this topic. Welcome to the podcast, Renee. Thank you, Jessica. Thanks, Philip. Thanks for having me, y'all. Yeah, thank so you. glad to have you back. <laughs> we're so excited today because this is, um, I think, in our industry, a conversation that has been avoided and has been kind of brushed under the rug, I think, with the excuse, I think, especially for us here in Montana, well, we don't have that population here as much, so we don't need to learn that. And um, I'm really excited to have you, Renee, because you're really passionate about this and really have some amazing insight and inspiration to help bring this to the forefront and have this conversation in the first place. Yeah, I mean, this is this is kind of the the heart behind the curriculum that <clears throat> me and my team spent so much time building is to make sure that, you know, people like me, people like my sister, uh, people like the people on the texture team can walk into a salon and feel safe, you know, um, and feel like they're going to be well taken care of. So like the feelings of safety coming from like the language that people use around them, the pricing around things. Um, and then like a good service and leaving feeling ready to, you know, be in the world presentably. <clears throat> so you just said something very interesting to me that um, I think a lot of people would probably like not raise an eyebrow, but maybe tilt their head a little when you said feel safe when they walk in. And yeah. I don't think for someone who has ever had to face really diversity would yeah. quite understand that. So expand on that a little bit, because that's very interesting to me. Yeah. Um, and you guys are catching the sounds of New York in the background. <laughs> I love um, so I, I think that when your world is predominantly white um, and you've gone to cosmetology school, you learned all about white hair and how like white hair can be textured and you learn about these softer textures. And like you go, you know, I, I was born in 1984 <clears throat> and when I was younger, I could go to a store and not see a single advertisement or placard on the walls or hanging in Old Navy anywhere and see one person of color. I can open up a magazine and go from cover to the back end and not see one person of mm. color in it. And today, you know, that's changed. You know, you there's you can look at the widest magazine in the U.S., town and country, and still find a person of color in it now. Mm -hmm. You know, and like that just it didn't used to be the case <clears throat> when I was younger. But unfortunately, that still happens in salons. Yeah. So you could easily walk into a salon and not see any imagery of a black person when you walk in there. You walk in there and not only do you not see any imagery of black people, you all of the stylists that you see um, and all of the people in the chairs are all white people. And like if you're a white person walking into that environment, you don't think of race. There is yeah. nothing in that presence to challenge your thoughts around who you are, your identity, or your race. You don't feel like other in a space like that. Yeah. But black women and black men are constantly in a world that is majority white or that is like, you know, money runs the world. And the, a lot of the money are, are possessed by white people in this country. So like you are constantly feeling like the other. And if you look at <clears throat> and you don't feel safe in other, you know, yeah. Like I grew up feeling like I had to have two people inside of me, you know, like I have the one that's colloquial and laid back and chill, the one that, that's at home. And then I had to put on a cloak to be someone else, something a little different, a heightened version of myself to be presentable for work. And that includes straightening my hair. It includes dressing a certain way, speaking a certain way. Like I had my professional voice and I had the voice that I had at home. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just this constant feeling of having to be two different people to be accepted in different industries and like when you go to a salon or when you go to a spa like you go there to relax essentially like unzip your pants and like 
you know, let your belly hang out. Mm -hmm. You can't. You still feel like you're all buttoned up because you you enter into these spaces where you feel like other. And not only that, you're like, I'm about to spend money here and I might leave looking like a disaster. Mm -hmm. Like the fear that you have in all of that, it's just, it's so mixed, you know, those feelings. And like you got black women like driving miles, depending on where they live, to find a black salon somewhere just just so that they could feel safe in a place. Just so they could feel like relaxed in a place. Um, and then when they go, you know, like black hair salons are still traditionally places where you go and you have to spend all day in, like you're in there for like five hours. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, like, you know, like black women are spending 80% more on beauty than their non-black counterparts, which means we have more money to spend, which means we have more disposable income, which means we're working more, which means we don't want to spend five hours in a salon. Mm -hmm. We want to make an appointment. We want to come in. We want to see our stylist on time and we want to leave at a certain time because now our time is important to us. But unfortunately not enough of those spaces exist. And like, um, and so there, there are so many like, nonverbal things and actual verbal things and techniques all coupled together that can make someone feel safe or unsafe walking into a salon. So Renee help. um, So I had the pleasure of listening to your book club and participating in that. And it was really eye opening to me to understand the difference between um, generational and emotional trauma associated with hair versus yeah. just technically knowing how to manipulate the hair. Can you chat a little bit about um, kind of the depth behind what hair represents to anybody, but specifically a black woman and the experience that generations have had that has led us to the state we're in today? Yeah. You know, like when, when, when black people were thriving in Africa, we knew how to take care of ourselves. You know, like the hairdresser, was next in line to royalty in any tribe or community because the way that you styled your hair said so much about who you were, what region you were from, what position or caste you had in that in in your tribe, <clears throat> all by the way the hair was done or set or styled. Um, and you, here you have like this continent full of different tribes and people before lines were on the ground and people who spoke all of these different languages, but can communicate so much just in what a hairstyle is. Um, And then when the Europeans came, they saw that and they were like, okay, like we, there is, there is power in what they, what they're, what they're not even communicating with words. There's just like, Mm. you know, understanding hair and who these, like they understand who they are. And there's like this sense of community. So when we were robbed from our land and brought to the, to what is now the United States, um, the first thing the the slave owners did was shave our heads. And then two generations later, like we had lost our aunties and our grandmothers, the people who knew how to do our hair, and we just didn't know how to take care of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Then we were put on plantations to work, and like the the conditions are so harsh that you would get you would get open sores on your head. Your hair will fall out. You don't have the tools to take care of your hair. You don't have the know-how to take care of your hair. So you always have it bandaged up and wrapped or hidden. Um, and then when you when you do, for like a whole, a whole week, your hair is like bound up and hidden because you're embarrassed by it. Um, and then the one day a week, like we weren't originally given Sundays, but eventually we got Sundays in which like we weren't we weren't made to work in the fields and we can present ourselves in ways that we wanted to. We learned how to like fry our hair with grease and pick through it with these shearing combs that you would use for sheep for shearing, you know, which mm-hmm. obviously are not good for the hair. And then you would only release this hair and it when it was released it had to be released in a very eurocentric idea idea of hair. It wasn't braids, it was pressing it out. Mm-hmm. And then we figured out how to have like addition, like add in hair, wigs and stuff like that. And it was a, it was just from one hiding to another hiding. And you're talking about decades and generations of hiding one's hair. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just to like really fast forward um, a year ago, I was on a bus, a city bus in Harlem and this mom had her hair natural. Um, and she had a little coil that kind of fell into her face and her daughter moved the coil out of her mom's uh, face and she smiled. And I kid you not, that little bit of like that little thing brought me to tears on the bus for a couple of reasons. One, this girl had natural hair and her mom had natural hair. 
two, this girl touched her mom's natural hair in public and and felt warmth and like ownership and she smiled. And I just, I know that there was a time for black women where her natural hair would have never been seen on a city bus, mm-hmm. never. Her daughter would have never had an opportunity to touch her mom's natural hair and smile. Instead, it was hidden under a wig or like a relaxer. And it was just like a little black girl can't celebrate who she is because her mother is not celebrating it. And like, it's just this constant inner conflict of like, I want to love my blackness. I want to love my skin. I want to love my culture. I want to love who I am. But there's this huge gap in this like denial of hair. Like I, I can't accept this. I don't look beautiful in this. And you're, what a black woman is competing against is generations of, of messages saying that her hair is not good. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, like now that we're becoming more conscious of this and more woke, as you would say, you know, like you have white stylists, you have black stylists, like looking at people in a mirror and being like, I love your hair natural. You should always wear it like this. And the thought is, is that that kind of one thing is going to bring healing all in one. And you, what you're combating is generations of feeling that my hair is not good enough. Um, and like learning how, learning how to feel beautiful with that is a whole inner turmoil and battle that women are still facing. Even though relaxers have plummeted to the smallest segment of our, of the beauty market, like we still, like, even though we know that we should love our hair, we don't fully. We still hide it under wigs. And when we do wear our hair natural, we press it. We still say things like good hair and bad hair. Even in our own community, we're warring this, you know? And like hair is just such a big part of a black girl's experience. You know, like I look at the weather for the week to figure out what I'm going to do with my hair. It can govern like an entire vacation. I grew up in South Florida. Going to the beach and going to the pool was never an at-a-whim activity. Because I had white friends who'd be like, let's just jump in a pool. I'm like, jump in a pool? That's a whole two-week endeavor for me. Like, I'm good on the pool. I'm not jumping in a pool. So, like, and it's like your hair hems up your exercise, your fun, your freedom, the feeling like I could just go. Like, your hair dictates so much of your existence and your life, you know? Um, That is just such a major part of who we are. And I think for, like, white women, it's not a major part of who they are. You know, they toss their hair up. Their hair is like, it's it's more accepted. Um, it's taught in beauty schools. There's more salons, higher end salons that can do it. It's been represented on TV everywhere. It's never like a challenge, like an emotional challenge. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Um, and And I think what ends up happening if you don't grow up living with that challenge, living with those internal battles, looking at the weather for the week to even figure out what you're going to do with your hair. It's just, there's this depth that you can't understand. And for black women, there's a depth that they can't understand because they don't understand the history. They don't understand what we were robbed of. They don't understand what the significance is of wearing a wig as a quote unquote protective style. But really there's an, there's an underlying fear, fear of showing what your real hair is. You know, like it's like, it's kind of an awakening of self you know, um, and just like to to be a beauty practitioner and to understand that this all of this load, all of this baggage is what a woman is carrying in to come see you. And then and then taking care of that and having to to navigate language in a way that all of that baggage can feel safe in. That's yeah. a big task. That's a big responsibility. Yeah. And I and I know why for white stylists, there's fear. You know, and I know why like stylists in certain demographics are like, oh, I don't need to learn texture because like that's not my demographic. And to me, in my head, like, sure, you know, like if you're looking at your five mile radius to your salon, that's probably not your demographic. But know that a black woman would drive miles and across state to come see you if she trusted you and what it could be if if she felt safe with you, no matter what you look like, what it could be if she felt safe with you and how you can expand the radius of your own salon. And how you can open up and take in anybody, no matter what like your immediate radius is like this information, texture, the culture conversation, all of that is imperative to people who come, who do hair. Because to me, doing hair is such an intimate practice because think of how many people actually touch your scalp in your life. 
and give you a head massage. <laughs> and I feel like the reason why hairdressers always know everybody's tea is because you're in this you're in this intimate space with somebody and people just it naturally just open up because it's an intimate space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you don't want to like open up this intimate space and not take care of it well. Yeah. And there could be a lot of fear around that. And I love that you bring up those, um, you know, invisible barriers that, again, it's not always the technical ability, but, you know, telling someone their hair is beautiful isn't going to erase the emotional connection that they have with their hair. Right. So, and it's like, oh, go ahead. No, it's just, it's just like being like understanding what a person could be walking in with. Yeah. And being and knowing like still say say that their hair is beautiful, but know that you're going to be taking a journey with your client. Sure. Know that like you have to take your client who is just out of relaxers and can only really still sees herself as beautiful with straight hair into like natural hair sets and different options for herself. You know, like knowing that you're going to be on a whole journey yeah. with your with your black client, you know. Wow. Yeah. I I'm just I'm over here in silence because I. I'm just in awe right now just to hear I got a little teary eyed just thinking about your story of in Africa, how hairdressers were next to royalty. And, Mm -hmm. and it's and I've known some, you know, I know, especially in the black community, hair is such is so deeply rooted in your in culture. And but the way I'm like, I want this episode to just go viral and everyone to hear this because I th- I mean, I've even taught with my teams and in salons, you know, we don't know where someone's coming from when they walk in and mm-hmm. we're here. Like you said, that is why we get all the tea. That's why we get everything. It's such an intimate experience. And hearing that just takes that to the next level. When you think about someone coming in with generational baggage and trauma, yeah. it, it I, I just, cause to me, I just like this year has been obviously very frustrating for everyone, especially the black community, but I just get so frustrated. I'm like, I just don't get racism. I just don't get it. I can't even begin to wrap my head around it. And then I look at our industry and people have said, you know, Oh, it's not racism not to want to do black hair. And Mm. It, it just it kills me and and now knowing this the backstory to that it just breaks my heart even more and i hope people that hear this really get inspired to take the step to educate themselves yeah i mean if you are if you are contributing cuz i mean hairdressing is a very segregated affair yeah you know um you still have very white salons and you still have very black salons and I feel like if you are contributing to that, whether accidentally or apathetically or willfully, like you should you should check that. Yeah. As a salon owner, as a, a beauty a practitioner, you should check that and be like, wow, like if my chair, no matter where I live, doesn't look diverse because black people are everywhere. Mm-hmm. We yeah. live everywhere. We're everywhere. <laughs> and we're into a myriad of things, you know, and I'm just like, there is opportunity for you to have a black client in your chair. There is opportunity for more diversity to be in your chair. And if it doesn't look that way, I would I would ask myself why. Yeah. Well, and you said last ep- the last episode you were on, is it by 2042? What was that statistic yep. you said? By 2042, whites will be the minority in the United States. Yeah. That yeah, I mean that's 20 years away. That's not that far. That's not that far. So people who are in beauty school right now, like if you want to make this a lifelong career for yourself, like it's just this is imperative. Jessica has a mixed child. I have two mixed children, mm-hmm. like the the mixed population. Like I can't wait for like the mm-hmm. 2020 census records to really come out because yeah. like I last I checked, the mixed population was growing at a rate of 130 percent. Wow. It's and crazy. so it's crazy. It's crazy. Like we're just not going to be doing hair in 20 years that does not have texture in it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's crazy because I grew up in Southern California and I'm half Asian. And so um, I didn't even, I mean, that was just my community. Everyone there is Latin, black, half, whatever. And so when I moved to Montana, that was probably the first time I was like, I have a two races in me. And it was, mm. and it was 
pointed out to me. It wasn't because I, I didn't even realize, even though I'd moved somewhere that was 99% white, I didn't even recognize it at first because it was just something I grew up, I didn't look at. And then all of a sudden it was pointed out to me, you know, and I think, yeah, like you said, people better get woke because that's, that's what's coming. It's here. Yeah. So Renee, I have a selfish kind of question, but um, I know others have this and I feel safe with you that I can ask this. Um, so I would love for you to guide us through some verbiage to use and verbiage not to use when addressing a textured hair and then be the black community with their hair. I being fully transparent, I find myself even in this conversation with Phil planning this episode, shying away from saying black individuals hair because yep. I want nothing. I never, ever, ever want to be disrespectful. So I find myself constantly defaulting to one through four ABC to try and just eliminate all of that. But yep. as we have this conversation and as I'm learning things from, you know, your book club and different things I've done, it's it feels really disrespectful to turn away from the depth of what that hair represents and calling out the texture by its formal title doesn't feel like it does it justice. So help somebody who wants nothing more than to be respectful to understand how to, in the best way, communicate to a community that I'm just not as familiar with. Yeah. Um, so I, I actually really love the, the numeric system, the one, two, three, four, ABC, um, because, you know, like black women didn't really have a lot of spaces to go to figure out what their hair was, you know, like it wasn't, it wasn't overnight that, um, relaxers plummeted to the smallest segment of our market. You know, that's been happening over time. So women have been going natural, but feeling like they had no good places to go to take care of their natural hair. So they'd been going to YouTube and YouTube broke it down into these categories as a great skeleton to be like, cause there's just so many videos and so many things on YouTube to, to look to look at, you know, like you can be shifting through like, um, like hundreds of videos before you kind of find somebody with your texture hair. So somebody can go and be like, what is 4C girls using for moisturizing? And that really narrows the search. And so like, I loved that language because it just helped people on YouTube figure out a way to find themselves and what others are doing. And it created like these little pockets of community. But I also know that some people have struggle with the, the numeric system, because again, like, the idea of good hair and bad hair. So like if you're existing in the twos and threes, you have good hair. And if you're existing in the fours, you have bad hair. So like people in the fours can sometimes feel ostracized still in this numeric system, feeling like, you know, like I don't, I don't have the good hair. Um, But I mean, I, when I was given that, when we were creating the curriculum, I pushed back because I was just like, no, we need to have a skeleton so people can find themselves. There needs, there needs to be like, you know, this roadmap mm-hmm. and we'll fill in the roadmap later. So what what is in correlation with these numbers are terms. So one is straight, two is uh, wavy, three is curly, four is coily. And then so Aveda uses that language. So if I see a four come in, I say, oh, look at your look at your coils, you know. Um, and you also, Jessica, you had mentioned a little earlier, like these invisible hurdles that we have. Right. And some of those invisible hurdles is what you look like. And so I can get away with a black client coming in and me saying, look at your kinky curls. Yes, girl, it's living. It's lit. It's live. Jessica, you probably can't get away with saying. <laughs> you know right. what I'm saying? Yeah. So like just knowing also like remembering what you look like to the client. Right. Because okay. if you if, if Jessica, you approach your client and came with that kind of energy, that black girl will probably roll her eyes and be offended mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. you're it. trying to sound like a black woman, yeah. you know, and that's appropriative. And that, that, that doesn't work either. And I understand how, like, like I understand kind of like the trepidation around all of this because like, you know, black people are resurging in consciousness. Like it happened in the sixties and seventies and it's kind of like resurging again. And with that comes like this indignant, like this attitude, which I believe is good. It's like this creating parameters for yourself in this space where you're like, I'm not going to stand for these things anymore. I'm not going to stand for this culture staying the same. I'm not going to stand for like 
the segregation in the salons being the same, you know, like, like we're speaking up and that's good. And that can create a lot of fear in others being like, dang, like, I don't want to get canceled. You know, like, I don't want to, I don't want to say something wrong. And then like, <laughs> I'm getting bad publicity, mm-hmm. like, again. Yeah. you know, that that's a, that's a real thing. So like, I encourage, like, I encourage like all of us to appreciate that we're on this road of learning. Um, and like, to step out and maybe say something wrong to, to, to learn. And it's hard because it's, it's, it's not black and white. And, you know, like black people are not a monolith. We don't all feel the same about the same thing, mm-hmm. you know? And so you have some clients that are cool with the word coarse and the word nappy. And then you have clients who are like, no way, Jose. Like, we're not calling my hair nappy. Mm-hmm. And like, so for me, things not to say. Things to say is using the numeric system. Okay. Things also to say is like if you don't want to use 4C, you can say uh, you can say kinky coily, right? Because that is essentially the the word version of 4C. Um, but then describe like adjectives, like descriptive words to describe the hair. What you don't want to say is like comparing it to like a household cleaning product. You don't want to say, oh, like oh, your hair is like sheep's wool or oh, this feels like Brillo, you know, like you just want to, or you don't want to say something like, oh, this is softer than I expected. Mm-hmm. Because if you put your hand in someone's hair and you're just like, this is softer than I expected, they're going to be like, well, dang, what did you expect? Mm-hmm. Like how often have you had your hands and hair like mine? You know? Yeah. I think um, it's, you know, it's funny. Cause it's like, no one wants to be talked to that white, no. black, Asian. And so why do people think it's okay to refer to black women's hair like that? It, it's right. Yeah. <laughs> Right. And like, and then, and you don't want to say, I, I don't think one should say nappy just because it's like, it's a kitchen beautician word, you yeah. know, like mm-hmm. my, our aunts and like our grandmas use the word, but it's usually never in a positive connotation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And because the, like, you know, but there are also children's books now that are like nappy this and nappy. That's like trying to like take back ownership of a word that was negative. Mm-hmm. And so like, I understand that that movement is happening. And like, even I have a book for my daughter does like her hair is not kinky at all. You know what I'm saying? But I have a book that's like, love your nappy curls. And like, just because I want her to see everything, but I don't think as beauty professionals, we should be saying nappy over our clients. Um, just because the history of the word is negative. Yeah, I agree. Um, even if, even if there's like this, this new wave of like taking ownership of the word and like celebrating it because it's, it comes from a negative place. I just feel like that should be out of salon. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, especially if at some point it becomes the norm, but as a professional, you know, I kind of look at it like in the gay community, queer Mm -hmm. was such a negative connotation. And now it's kind of the norm within the gay community, but even still it would be kind of weird if I went somewhere and they started saying things queer to me and yeah. I'd be like um I don't know about yeah. that <laughs> yeah yeah like you have to like respect like the newness yeah. of this ownership of this word you know what I'm saying yeah and I think and that's tr- a good a good point because a lot of people I think right now are like well if they can say it why can't I and it's it's mm. it's about respect I think for what a community or race has gone through and what they you know they can take ownership over it, it comes down to respect yeah. It's just like, it's like when like a band of people go to war together, you know, and they're like, they're in the trenches together. And when they come out of those trenches, they can say positive and negative things about those trenches because they were in it together. Mm-hmm. But if somebody from the outside comes in and starts saying negative things about the trenches, they're like, well, you weren't there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of, it's, it's similar. Like the way that black women talk to one another, I think that there are some toxic things that we say to one another because we're also combating like generations of negative talk about our hair. Right. So, mm-hmm. but in those inner circles, like, like we imagine all these black women and men sitting at a table talking about their hair, talking about the trials and tribulations, talking about the good moments, talking about the bad moments. And they're just being a lot of hard and emotional moments. Mm-hmm. Like what you don't want to be is like the white person that comes to that table and tells them what to say and what not to say, mm-hmm. you know, like be wary of that. Um, but like what you do want to do is like be a good listener to that table, yeah. you know, like if you get close to the table and you're like listening, like 
listen, understand, be empathetic, like love with them, laugh with them, but be mindful that you don't look like them and you weren't in the trenches with them. So the way that you speak around their hair can't be like the way they do. Mm -hmm. I love that analogy too. Um, And I think it's, you know, applicable in any situation. Yeah. I love that. Well, you mentioned your children too. So talk to us a little bit about um, what you, so I know you've spoken highly of your mother. I'm also a big fan of my mommy. Um, But talk to us a little bit about what you are doing with your children to either replicate some of the positivity that you experienced around your hair or to give them a different experience with their hair. Um, Like what do these conversations look like in your household? Yeah. So it's interesting. Like it kind of goes beyond hair, you know, like my mom um, is an immigrant to this country. And like we came, we come from a country that was colonized by the British until like recent history. Um, And so like we, we were colonized by whites. And so uh, Trinidad is not at all a part, like departed from a colonized mind, you know, like a very heavy uh, Eurocentric idea of beauty. Mm-hmm. My mom really struggled to wear her hair natural. Thank God she's wearing it natural now. But it took her a very long time to to get to that point because she didn't feel presentable at work with her hair in its natural state. Um, and so that's not something that my mom ever challenged. You know, like she was like happy when I got a relaxer, and she was just like, ah, oh, like. Even now, if I, I wear my hair straight, straight, she'll be like, oh, it looks so beautiful, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and these are all things that I'm conscious of. And she's just doing it unconsciously, you know, um, because of habits and, like, generational things. But for me, like, my children don't have um, – their father is white, right? So my children don't have hair that has a really tight curl or coil to it. But um, we live in Harlem which is the demographic of this place is not only black, but African, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so many little girls with beads and clips and like braids and all kinds of different hairstyles. And like, you know, I, I dress my daughter's hair in braids and beads. And like, I love it when we go to the park and she sees another girl with braids and beads and they're talking about their beads or they're talking, you know what I'm saying? Like I, I get a good sense from that, mm-hmm. but um, like, when we're just sitting down in the house and we're watching TV and like we're watching an episode of something and there's just no diversity in the show, I kind of pointed out to my kids. I'm like, wow, you know, like not one black person or not one brown person in that show. How weird is that? You know, like I'll point that out. And like Judah's in a classroom. My son is in a classroom with all of these like beautiful, really dark skinned girls. And I'm like, and we, we talk about, cause you know, like, like, some some racial ideas are like inherent. We kind of all kind of breathe it in and none of us are immune from it. Yeah. And so already like like my son sees like lighter skin is more beautiful, a curl over a kink is more beautiful. And I've been and I've and I've actually tried. I've tried to pull that water out of a uh, out of the boat um and I'm and I'm still doing that. So we I would I would see a beautiful black woman. And I would just say out loud, wow, she is beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I'll see. So I always, every time I just posted on my Instagram stories, not too long ago, like yesterday, this little quote of uh, this little meme that I loved. And it was like, one thing about me, I'll always tell a little black girl that her hair is beautiful. Mm-hmm. And that is so true of me. Like when we're walking up the street and I see a little black girl, I always stop them to tell them how beautiful their hair is. And my children are always with me when I do this, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and it's just making, just hearing, letting them see with their two eyes what mama thinks is beautiful. I love that. And it, it, that's representation. And that's like, that's changing their idea of beauty. It's broadening. It's like, it's all encompassing. <laughs> mm-hmm. So bringing that back around to the salons, what can we as an industry, um, as a whole do to, um, you, you know, bring that into our day-to-day craft that we do with our guests. I love the way you're raising your kids and that you're leading by example with that. How as an industry, can we bring some of that into what we do? Yeah. I mean, call out undi- like call out spaces that don't look diverse, like call it out, call it out when you're watching it, 
with your kids on the TV. Mm-hmm. Call it out when you walk into a salon and there's no pictures of diverse people in the salon anywhere. Call it out every time you see it. Like if you if you are going into an interview at a salon and there is no diversity in the pictures because I, I'm, I can understand like people want to live close to work. And if you are in a place that doesn't have a lot of diversity, the the staff is going to look like predominantly white, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I get that. Yeah. That's not changing. But there should be no reason why there aren't pictures on the wall or along the retail wall or anything like that that doesn't have diversity. Mm-hmm. Anytime, like when you, like, um, and also like, like check like check yourself as a like a hairstylist like what comes up on your feeds when your instagram because your instagram you know it's a bot it kind of gives you what you normally look at if your feeds are mostly white or like you like you need to think about diversifying the things that you look at because representation matters for you too you know what i'm saying like you the more you see like the reason why we're accepting three um, leveled hair, curly hair now is because marketers decided to put it in places mm-hmm. like Tracy Ellis w- Ross wore her hair natural as an adult professional woman on the show. Girlfriends revolutionary, yeah. like seeing it in a magazine. So we see it more. We talk about it more, but the truth is, is that we see it more mm-hmm. and because our eyes encounter it more, like we're more willing to accept this. So good. And like if like if so, make sure that your feeds are diverse. Make sure that the salon spaces that you walk into are diverse. Like, just bring diversity into your life, so that you like the more you do that, the more you hear, the more you learn, the more you see, the more comfort you'll have talking around these things. The more comfort you have, the more ease you have, and the more the more ease that like this it'll come to you. I feel like the things that you put out into the world, it kind of comes back to you. If there's resistance or fear and stuff like that, you create these little blockades where things can't come to you. Yeah. So just like open up, and crumble those things down, be intentional about, uh, intentional about breaking these non-diverse spaces down in your life. Yeah. And I love that you say with social media, I mean, we all have access to see and learn and find beauty um, yep. at our fingertips. It's, it's not a far-fetched idea. It's right there. Yeah. Well, and like you said, I think um, with YouTube now, mm-hmm. there's no excuse anymore. It's funny because just on the other week on the, I think it was one of the Aveda forums, someone posted a YouTube video and was like, YouTube is not beauty school. And in my head, I was like, well, then take control. You learn how to do it. You teach your guests and they won't have yes. to turn to, to YouTube mm-hmm. to learn about these things. We're the professionals. We're the experts in hair. Uh, my, I don't want my guests turning to YouTube and coming to me saying, do this because I saw this, I want to be able to come back and say, no, this, in my professional opinion, this is what we should do. A hundred percent, Philip. I a hundred percent agree with that. And I think this is because of our, our um, immediate gratification culture that our world has right now. This is not something that's going to go away this year. You know, if we put up a few black girls in a picture in a window and put some people on our feed in a year, we're going to be good. Everything's going to be normal. This is lifelong at this point. And Mm -hmm. I was reading this thing that said um, to really about systemic racism, and it's going to take about four generations if we start right now really hunkering down to kind of weed this stuff out. That's a long time. That that fight is not going to end anytime soon. Yeah. Or ever. Ever. Yeah. You know, I hate to say say that, but I think that reality of it is, is you can't um, change everyone's mindset. Um, But the mass, the majority of people are, I think, thinking different than they ever have before. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Seeds are being planted in the next generation's minds, even between my children and Renee's, you know, they're going to look at the world with different eyes than you and I did. Yeah. Absolutely. So Renee, I want to ask you a little bit about um, cultural, cultural appropriation. Yeah. Um, so the image that comes to mind, and I am a huge fan of Adele, so I am not knocking her at all. But <laughs> when Adele wore the Bantu knots for the Jamaican celebration parade. Yes. Um, help me understand your perspective on that. And when it is celebrating a culture, um, 
and when it is in a, done in a form of disrespect. Right. So, like, Adele can... So my my opinion on that was that she should not have worn those Bantu knots. And the reason why is because her hair does not need Bantu knots. Mm-hmm. You know, like, there is nothing about her hair that warrants the necessity of Bantu knots. And she could have easily worn a Jamaican um, top to, like, celebrate with all the Jamaican people and worn her hair in a simple bun, not Bantu knots. Yeah. And, like, I know that, like, some people feel like, oh, well, like, black people don't own braids. All these people did different kinds of braids. Well, sure. Like, I mean, we don't own all braids. But there are certain specific braids that, like, like to be to be real, like box braids, for instance, mm-hmm. like our hair texture and our scalp can handle box braids. Yeah. The weight of the added hair and all of that. White people can't handle it. Yeah. Their scalps <laughs> get pimples all over. They get like the, the it's red. It gets mm-hmm. itchy. The 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 hair starts to slip out. It's like your hair doesn't even want to do this, but you're you're taking it. And the problem with appropriation is that. Like, I have my own personal story where, like, in school, I was reprimanded for having beads because it was a distraction to class and it was loud, right? So my hair is in braids and I have beads. And uh, so I was reprimanded and I'm not allowed to wear, like, my hair in these beads. This white girl goes to Jamaica with her family on one break and comes back with braids and beads. (laughs) And it was celebrated. Mm -hmm. Look how beautiful, blah, 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 blah. And I'm over here like, wait a minute. Why when it's on her, it's okay. And why when it's on me, it's not okay. It's a distraction. Yeah. Why on me is a negative. And like, mm. so you will look at these styles on black women and say that they're hood, they're ghetto, they're not professional. Like you still have things today that are the crown act. Like, why do we still even have this? That a black woman can't wear her hair in dreads and serve in the army or like wear her hair in braids, like things that her hair is safest in. Like in these protective styles, we can't wear our hair this way because it's not professional. Like if I wash and go my hair, it's not going back into a slick enough ponytail <laughs> and behind yeah. my neck to fit an army hat on. Yeah. That My hair is not going to do that. You know what I'm saying? And it's just like these rules that make us not able to live how we are. Um, and we're still fighting these rules. Right. And white women don't have to go through this. They don't have to yeah. go through this struggle. And when you when you see these styles and or like you say to a black girl, oh, I wish I could have your hair. And I'm like, I'm sure you wish you could have the image of this hair right now, today, in this day and age. But can you really take all of the baggage that comes with having this hair? Mm -hmm. Can you take on the three hours it took me to detangle, cleanse and style my hair today? Can you take that on? You cannot take that on. You have no idea what I feel. You have no idea what I go through and you are sitting here just taking this style and presenting it. And the world is acting like you invented it and it's so cute on you. And like, we're just over here. Like we, like we haven't been wearing box braids for years and you know, and like laying edges down for years. Not like when we did it, we couldn't go to work like that, but you put a little white girl on the cover of Vogue and she's got her edges laid and it's fashion. I don't understand that. (laughs) <laughs> go in sis because that is i mean i didn't even know that about the military i didn't either that is that's wild yeah and i remember specifically i know that this is like so random but i just remember like the most angry i got about appropriation is when chanel came out with the baby blue do-rag on their runway oh, yeah and i was livid i'm like chanel did not invent the baby blue duet <laughs> they, they didn't do it nope. and and like if you wore baby blue tims or a baby blue durag you were considered hood that's a that's a hood color choice for a durag or a paris tim you know mm-hmm. what i'm saying and i'm just like and now chanel's got it on a runway and it's fashion and they came up with it like bewildered i was like how do how how do people not see this how and, do people and was like, nobody how does she, in the team on this t- to bring that to anyone's attention? Nobody thought to, no to one's say something and not have one black person on the runway show. Yeah. I'm like, though, if you decide if you went out into the streets and you were like, wow, blue do rags, yo, that's a look. I'm going to put this blue do rag on a black man on my runway show. 
And I'm going to say, I saw this on the streets of Harlem. I'm not going to act like I invented it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I put it on a bunch of white women. I'm not going to do that. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's why it's important to have diversity at every level. Yeah. You need those checks and balances. And I hate it when people say, oh, why, you know, someone should be on uh, executive level based on their merit, not based on their color. And that's true. But also you need diversity throughout every level. So those things can't happen. So these conversations can happen. Yeah. That's what I think as a black woman, like when, when H&M came out with a little shirt with a monkey with the, um, holding the banana and the black kid was in that t-shirt i'm like wow that was my first thought was was dang yo there was no one black person on the board for this Mm -hmm. well they're like the director the photographer nobody nobody was black (laughs) and i mean and maybe there was but it's so ingrained even in the black community to just not say anything that that's i mean as crazy as this year has been that's the positive I think that's coming out of it is because these conversations are starting to happen finally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and what's like, what's crazy is that these conversations happen in the black community all the time. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, like black people are comfortable talking about race. Like if a black girl is like describing somebody she saw at the bodega, the store, she's going to say, yeah, it was a white girl or yeah, it was a black girl. Where I feel like white people are a little bit more uncomfortable talking about, like, I've heard, like, white people talk all around the race of the person to describe the person. And I'm like, (laughs) you could have just said the black girl. That would have, we could have cut this conversation. We could have slimmed two minutes off this conversation. And I just feel like because talks about race happen so much in the black and brown community and, like, the white community don't get, like, they're, they're, their race isn't pressed upon. They don't, they're not conscious of their race every single day that they exist. You know what I'm saying? And so these conversations aren't as rampant. And because of that, like these conversations are like pressed up against them and they feel uncomfortable is what I, is what I feel. And like what I feel is happening now, Philip is like, they're like, no, like we can talk about race and we can talk about it in a safe way. And we like, and I feel what's nice is that like, they're engaging in conversations I feel like I've grown up having. And I and what makes the world better is like when we can all talk around a subject and respect each other's differences mm-hmm. and not say things like I don't see color because that's a lie. And anything built on a lie just is not going to last. Yeah. There's no fortitude in that. But the truth the truth would be like I see your color. I really love your color. There's so many things I don't understand in that, but like help me see, help me know, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I, it's just like that kind of honesty and that kind of vulnerability and, you know, I feel like is that's what's going to bring more. you. Yeah. yeah. And that's kind of one of the things that pushed us to host this episode so early on in our podcast is because it, as much as the beauty industry is fun and there's a lot of really lighthearted conversations that are going to happen, we want to do something that changes the way people think. We want to get into people's brains and teach them something or have you teach something, bring something to their mind or their radar that maybe wasn't there before. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, myself personally, I am so I'm comfortable. Like you said, Brown and black people have been having these conversations forever i you know me and my friends in the gay community we've been having conversations about that forever and i'm very i want to be open to conversation you know if someone comes to me is like i just don't get this about the gay community i'm like okay let's sit down and have a conversation Mm -hmm. about it and that's just all i want to come out of this is more dialogue like you said the more we talk about it the more we see it the more we're going to be comfortable and you don't have to dance around it anymore we can just get straight to it and then get moving on and doing some hair yeah and yeah the more we talk about it too the more we understand so being super transparent before we came on to record philip and i were having a conversation and he described himself as a person of color and Mm -hmm. i was like i'm uncomfortable saying that on the podcast Um, And he's like, why? And I, one time I described a black person as a person of color and I was smacked down of, Mm. um, I'm not purple. I'm not green. I'm black. Call me black. Call me what I am. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I apologize. It's definitely not my intention. And so Philip literally Googled it. um, And because he's half Asian and it's just, 
you never know. I never know like yeah. what's right and what's wrong. And having that, even that little tiny safe conversation with him about his relationship with the words person of color and helping me understand it from a perspective other than the one that I've had. Yeah. Um, I, f- I feel differently about it and everybody should have the opportunity to have those lessons with people that they know and love as well as people who they just encounter. Yeah. Um, I, like, I really believe in like creating safe spaces for one another, you know, like the world has been like my, my, my North American world has been like, it's just predominantly white. The majority is white. And I, and I, I feel like, you know, like that's obviously changing. Um, and I feel like we, like black people need to create safe spaces for white people to have discovery. White people need to tread that lightly and respectfully as possible, mm-hmm. but there, and, and white people need to create safe spaces for black people. Like we all need to do our job to create safe spaces for one another, because like, I just feel like the way things are politicized, it's polarizing. Yes. Like, like taking issues of like black people dying at the hands of the police unwarrantedly is like, like taking that and politicizing it and like black lives matter being like a politicized thing when I'm just like, this is an issue of humanity. Mm -hmm. And like, and it's, it shouldn't, it shouldn't be polarizing like this. Like I shouldn't, I shouldn't hate um, Adele for wearing Bantu knots. I recognize that what she did wasn't in good taste Mm -hmm. and like, I don't like it. It does incite something in me because I know like my relationship with my hair and how she didn't have those relations. She doesn't have that relationship with her hair. And she doesn't understand that baggage. Mm-hmm. But if she ever came to me and talked to me about it, it'd be such an opportunity to have an open conversation. Yeah. And like, w- like because I don't hate her for it, you know? Like, I wouldn't look down on her. I wouldn't speak down on her. I, I would just be like, what were you thinking? Like, how did you think about that? What was your process? And then she can ask me how I felt. And that could be like us creating safe spaces for one another so that like she could understand my perspective and probably grow it a bit and be like, yo, I never saw it like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I could tread that water better, you know? Um, and then for me too, like I had, so I, I have a beautiful friend in my life who is, um, who is, who's queer and she, they always help me think about things a little differently. Um, and we had this conversation about Judah wearing a uniform on, on zooms and I'm like I really love uniforms it helps him like get his mind right for school and she was just like yeah I totally understand that but think about like like how frequently inner city kids have to wear uniforms um and schools that don't have aren't in inner cities and how they're free to wear what they want and how that could be a form of like policing black and brown kids a different form of policing Mm -hmm. black and brown kids and I like I never I never thought of that before and I was just like yo I could have been indignant and be like, nah, I like uniforms. I paid for them uniforms and they've just been sitting in a drawer because of virtual school and she he gonna wear them uniforms. But what I did was I was just like, yo, Key, that I never looked at it like that. And like, yo, thank you for bringing that to the table. That gives me something to like chew on and to really, it, this new information helps me make a better well-rounded decision for my home about Judah wearing uniforms or like not wearing uniforms. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. it gives me something to think on. And so, like, there's just so much opportunity for that. And, like, in in the hairdressing business, all we do is talk to each other. We have, like, a <laughs> solid hour, two hours to, like, really talk to somebody. And I'm like, we, it, is our, it is our duty to create, make those spaces safe. Yeah. So I, much potential in those, in, those, in those hours. Absolutely. I am, you know, the, the old adage of you're not supposed to talk about sex, religion, or politics Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I want to, I want to break that down because I, like you said, we're so politicized right now. There's no middle ground right now. Everyone is the extreme of one or the other. And I think it's because we've stopped listening to each other and we, yes. we can't have these conversations about politics or religion or sexual identity or anything like that. And it's like, maybe we need to start having these conversations. If we mm-hmm. can have them in a civilized, humane way, that's empathetic and understanding it wouldn't be such a strained topic. I have lots of conversations with my guests all the time about religion and politics and they're beautiful conversations and I walk away with a different point of view and hopefully they do too. And I, I would love out of all this to that be normalized. Yeah. 
Philip, I will talk about nothing else behind the chair. Right? I used to get in trouble at Erosia all the time. You're like, you can't talk about things like that. I'm like, for it's what? It's me. It, it's, it, me. it's me. And it's them. We are living in politics, religion, yes. sex, and race. Like, we are living in that sauce every day. How am I going to be seeing somebody for five years and not know where they stand politically or how they feel about religion? Or, like, how am I not? Then I don't know them. I don't know Absolutely. them as a person. It's so... Such a disservice not to talk about like those things. Right. And like if you just if you approach every conversation like I can learn something in this conversation, you approach a conversation with the kind of humility to be like, I might not be right where I stand. I I like where I stand right now and Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm right. But there there is something that could be added to this. I know Mm -hmm. if you always uh, approach a conversation like there is I am a learner and there is something to be learned here. Like that alone, that mentality can create such a safe space. Absolutely. And I think if we don't have those conversations, you know, even something as, you know, the 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 hairdressers are next to royalty, I'm not going to know that as your hairdresser and be able to connect with you on an emotional level about your hair when in your culture, that is what's tied so deeply to that generational trauma and but if we didn't talk about politics or because black lives matter so politicized and the current state of our nation, we would never get to that. And then I would never never really be able to service you as my guest without knowing that human to human. I see you. Yeah. 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 I can. I love that. Well, Renee, I cannot wait till the day I can give you the biggest hug, like brace yourself. Cause when we get to meet in person, I'm going to just absolutely embrace you for all of the pleasantries you've shared with me, all of the emotional sharing. Um, I've learned so, so, so much from you. A tackle hug when I see you, Jessica. Yeah, That's yes. what's going to happen. A straight up tackle hug. Well, we are planning on being on stage at next Congress is our goal. So yeah. we'll do it on stage. <laughs> we have a one-year goal of getting this podcast to blow up and we want to host a live episode on stage at Congress 2021. Aveda doesn't oh, know Oh, man, I hope that for you guys. Wouldn't that be so good? Yes. Ooh, I, I can... love that. Having real conversation on stage at Congress. Come right? through. Jessica and Philip, come through. That's what I'm saying. Hey, Kyle Miner, holla at your girl. Right. <laughs> so, Renee, last time we ended with our three rapid-fire questions. We're going to do the same this time. So... Let's pull up Google and find out what Google wants to know about you. So first thing, I'm a singer. I love music. So what song currently speaks to you the most? Uh, I'm sorry, Philip. Ask that question one more time. That's okay. Um, What song currently speaks to you the most? Oh, okay. Okay. So I know the question is current, but like my favorite artist of all time is Lauren Hill. And like yes. X Factor is a song that speaks to me and like ever since 1998 when that album Miseducation dropped, like <laughs> that one song speaks to me at every stage of my life. Yeah. So um yeah. That that X Factor for I love that. Just what song for you right now? I mean, this is just real life of where my life is at with the toddler. It's totally dig a little deeper from the princess frog. Uh, <laughs> because it's the first song my son that ever came on. And if you haven't seen that movie, like go Google dig a little deeper princess frog. It's such a fun song. But he like shot up off of the couch and like did his first version of what he thinks <laughs> dancing is. Got his daddy's yes. moves, not his mommy's. Um <laughs> But dig a little deeper, and it's such a fun song. It's got a fun little story behind it. I love that. Um, I think right now for me, I love worship music, and so um, there's a song called Battle by Phil Wickham that I just love to blast when I'm having any level of stress. I just blare in my truck and drive around. I love that. I haven't listened to Phil Wickham in a while, but I had a season of Phil Wickham. Boy, that's that, like, oh, that's yeah. all awesome. Yeah. Yeah, he has a new album out that is it's incredible. So all right. Uh next question. What keeps you up at night? Besides those those kids. (laughs) 
Um, what keeps me up at night? Uh, um, usually, like, I'm usually thinking about, like, all the things. So I'm a, I'm a OD planner and I just, I, I literally have two kids in remote learning right now and three jobs. Um, and so <laughs> I, <laughs> I, what keeps me up at night is trying to, like, map the following day to make it run as smoothly as possible. Yeah. Like just trying to like figure out how I can best balance it more efficiently. Nice. Jess? I mean, I'm going to be real raw. Real talk for me is money. Money, mm. money is the one thing that will spin me sideways. Um, I think it's, I grew up on very tight budgets and aware of not having money at times. And so money is the only thing that can fuck with my sleep cycle. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for me right now, I'll be very honest. I am such a go, go, go person. Like I do not stop until my head hits that pillow. And that mm-hmm. is, that's my time to like zone out. So, um, TikTok is what's been keeping me up right now. <laughs> I try and go to bed by 10 and the next thing you know, it's 2 a.m. And I'm like, oh it's my 2 a.m. And TikTok <laughs> Damn you, TikTok. Um, and last one. Ooh, what is your beverage of choice? Ah, uh, my beverage of choice is water. I have been strictly drinking nothing but water since the 11th grade. I don't drink soda, coffee or juice. That why you so pretty. Ah, I don't know about all that, Jessica, (laughs) but um, the, like, you know, when you go, when you go to a meeting and, or like they, whatever, something, and they're like, oh, give one interesting fact about yourself. My one interesting fact is always that my first and last drink of alcohol was when I was six years old. Wow. And I, I was at a wedding in Trinidad and some drunk adult who I asked for something to drink gave me a flute of champagne and I took that thing like it was soda. And I was just like, wow, I didn't know that soda can turn bad. I was like, this is bad soda. <laughs> it has turned. But two hours later, I was like over like the toilet, like vomiting oh, up my life. So and like, cool. it wasn't until I think about college that the scent of alcohol didn't make me nauseous. But to, like, I've just, wow. I have been, yeah. So what you do with your parents is just let your child try alcohol <laughs> and it. And hope for the best. Just cross your fingers and they might never touch this stuff. I was just going to say that. I was like, should we give all six-year-olds just one flute of champagne and then that'll deter everything? Can you imagine? That is horrible advice. For the record, folks, do not. For the record. Do not try that at home. That's funny. Uh, What's yours, Jess? For sure, coffee. Mm. Um, Before, the only time I haven't drank coffee is when I was pregnant and when I was nursing. Um, but before that, um, I had to go to the doctor one time because I was constantly nauseous. I was not pregnant and like sweating and I just did not feel good for like two weeks. And he's like, I can't figure out anything. They did blood tests and I had an excessive amount of caffeine built up in me because I was drinking, um, coffee concentrate. I thought it was just normal cold brew coffee. And I was drinking like three or four, like big 12 ounce cups of coffee concentrate. And he's like, you are overdosing on caffeine. Like this is how much one person should have like in a week, girl. Like, so I had to back off the coffee a little bit, but I do love me some coffee, especially. Wow. Wow. (laughs) What about you, Phil? Um, Oh my gosh. I'm such a basic bitch of 2020 right now. It's LaCroix, huh? <laughs> it is. And it's the key lime one, huh? Um, or the it's limoncello. Okay. The, it's the limoncello. I knew it. I used to be a, like <laughs> addicted to soda. I, I could smash a 12-pack of Diet Pepsi in a day easily. No. Yeah, it was bad. I mean, there was one point um, where I would – this is so embarrassing. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> There was one point where I would have a can of Diet Pepsi by my bed. Oh, that's disgusting. Wow. Shame. I know. <laughs> now I, I've switched to LaCroix, so I don't really, I think I haven't had a, a soda in like at least six months. Good job. Congratulations. Thanks. 
Congratulations, Phil. Thanks. I love it. Well, Renee, we can't thank you enough for your time. If you guys are loving what you're hearing on the podcast, make sure to leave a rating and review. That is the best way to show us some love. It's the only way for new people to find this podcast. Head on over to Instagram and give us a follow at the Beautiful Hustle Podcast. That's right. And don't forget while you're over there to give our girl Renee a follow. She is at Renee SRH. Her feed is beautiful. She's got lots of information to just drop on you the daily. So make sure to give her a follow. And don't forget, we have many more interviews coming this weekend. Uh, or the, excuse me, this month, uh, deep diving into everything, plus much more and many more amazing guests to come. So until next time, stay beautiful and keep hustling.